Turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings 21. We continue our study through Kings, and again, we'll work through the entire chapter, but we'll read the first part of it uh, now in the interest of time. Verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire, practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander anymore from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke by his servants the prophets saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I'm bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides his sin by which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that you would come and speak to us now, even through this this hard word, this, this dark, word of this dark time, Lord, we pray that in your light we would see light for the entrance of thy word, even this word gives light. We pray that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, that we would hear him and follow him and 
offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Bad to the bone. I once heard an old preacher say that frequently on Mondays he would read over the book of 1 Corinthians. Pastors tend to be downhearted on Mondays. All the studying and preparation of the previous week evaporated in a half an hour the day before. It didn't go nearly as well as he'd imagined it would, and now he'd got to start all over. If attendance was off, the pastor is wondering, what did I do wrong? Now, this happened somewhere else a long time ago, so don't you speculate about anyone involved, but I well remember a Monday morning some years ago when my phone rang, and it was an area code with which I was unfamiliar. Normally, I don't answer that type of call because I have no need for a car warranty. But for some reason that day, I answered that call, and it was a pulpit search committee. Well, not only was it Monday, but at the time they called, I happened to be driving to the county jail to see one of the deacons at the church I served who had been taken into incarceration the night before for some foolish choices. So when the person on the call informed me that he was chairman of a search committee from another church, my first words to him were, how soon can I start? Now back to the old preacher who read 1 Corinthians on Mondays. The church at Corinth, you know, was a mess. It was bad cliquish. There were basically political parties in the church. People were getting drunk at covered dish dinners. There were sins that even by today's lax standards would be scandalous. And this old preacher said that when he was feeling down on Mondays, when he read 1 Corinthians, he would always realize, I don't have it that bad. I got challenges, but nothing like the Apostle Paul had on his hands. And we can do the same thing with this passage about the reign of King Manasseh. As dark, as depressing as it is, one positive thing we can draw out of this passage is we could have it worse. Manasseh was the worst king in the history of Judah. Some time ago, we saw Ahaz, and bad as he was, Ahaz was white bread compared to Manasseh. Manasseh sealed the doom on the southern kingdom of Judah. In this passage, the Lord declares the Babylonian captivity because of Manasseh's wickedness. Manasseh was bad to the bone. But as we have seen again and again in Kings, the Lord is still in control still working out his purposes even when the king is bad to the bone. Now let's get to it. First in this passage, we see the vanity of this world. The vanity of this world. Look at verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, 
And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image as Ahab, king of Israel, had done, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Now remember that Manasseh's father, Hezekiah, was the best king since David. Hezekiah had purged the land of all the idolatry, and he had restored the true worship of Jehovah God. And now his son is abysmal. And the text highlights not only that Manasseh was an awful king, but specifically that he undid the good that his father had done. Manasseh rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had destroyed. Hezekiah had made things so much better. And then his son came along and made it even worse than it was before. This is exactly what is spoken of in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. It's not time to turn, but let me read you a couple verses. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I toiled and in which I have shown myself wise under the sun. This also is vanity. This is part of the vanity that reigns over the whole world because of sin. One person does a wonderful work, then dies or moves on, and the next person comes along and destroys it. People work hard, live modestly, save their money. Then they die and their heirs spend it all before the first grass seed germinates over the grave. All empires eventually fall. The general trend of all churches is toward corruption and apostasy. You leave Clover, headed north on 49. When you cross the Buster Boyd Bridge, you're headed due south. You got to go due south to get from South Carolina into North Carolina. But if you stay on 49, it will finally take you to the state line at Halifax County, Virginia. It may go south a little bit here and there, but the general trajectory is north by northeast. There have been times of revival. There was revival under Manasseh's father and under his grandson, we'll see. And there may be spurts where things temporarily improve in this world. But the Apostle Paul 
clearly warns us the general trend of this world is that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This world is dominated by vanity. But there's a purpose even for the vanity. Romans 8.20 says that God intentionally subjected this world to vanity so that we would not have our hope in this world but in another one. 161 years ago it was said and we've heard it repeated ever since that America is the last best hope of earth. But the truth is that this earth with all nations on it, including this nation, is doomed to burn. The overwhelming majority of the church is doomed to apostasy. We are commanded in Scripture not to love this world, not to idolize or deify even our own nation. There is no hope for this world, period. The only hope is in a new world. So the Apostle Peter says that on the day of the Lord, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. This world is going to burn. But he goes on to say, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But this old earth is subjected to vanity. We see Manasseh undo all the good his father had ever done, and we see the vanity of this world. Secondly, in this passage, we see a man given over. A man given over. Look at verse 4. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he made his son pass through the fire, practice soothsaying, use witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. Verse 9, they paid no attention. That is to the Word of God, the book, Law of Moses. Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Now remember way back when the Israelites first came into the promised land that the Lord 
commanded them to wipe out the Canaanites. That may seem harsh to us, but the Canaanites were absolutely depraved and and degenerate. Idolatry, human sacrifice, sex cults. If it was bad, they did it. But you see verse 9 of this passage literally says that Manasseh made Judah more evil than the Canaanites. Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord God had destroyed before the children of Israel. He killed his own son as a burnt offering to Baal or Molech. He practiced witchcraft, consulted mediums. He built altars to worship the sun, moon, and stars in the courts of the temple and even put a carved image of Asherah, the female goddess consort of Baal, in the temple of the Lord. Look at verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other besides his sin by which he made Judah sin and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Jezebel, wicked Jezebel would say, Manasseh, this is overkill. Manasseh has out-paganed the pagans. He is an Israelite of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David by blood. But he's an uncircumcised Philistine in his heart. How did this happen? This is a prime example of what the Apostle Paul said in the first chapter of Romans. Because people did not recognize or honor the Lord and were not thankful to them, he gave them up. Let me read you a few verses. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. You know why we are not all as bad as we could be. The mercy of God that restrains us. And the worst thing that could happen to someone is like a dog on a chain. He keeps tugging and pulling, and finally God just turns him loose. Manasseh is a man whom the Lord has turned loose, completely given him over. We are watching our own culture being given over to a debased mind 
right now. A hundred years ago, it was divorce. Society was tugging on that chain to break the rules. Then it was what they used to call living in sin. Now they call it living together. Society was tugging on that chain. Now it's as normalized as no-fault divorce simply because I'm unhappy. Then it was people can love whoever they want. It's their private business tugging on that chain again. Then it was same-sex marriage must be legalized. Now we're tugging on that chain demanding I can be a man or a woman or neither one or both or something else or fluid. A few days ago, we found this book prominently displayed among the children's books in the Clover Public Library. The title of this book is Payton's Pronoun Party. I'm going to read you a page from it. But Payton also puzzled about who he really was. One day, holding tightly onto Ruffles, as his dog, Peyton tried explaining to his parents, I'm not sure I'm a boy, so maybe he is not best for me. We'll call you whatever you're comfortable with, Peyton's mother said with a hug. Peyton's father nodded. Your friends use different pronouns. Why don't you ask them for advice? Once you decide, we'll throw a big party to celebrate, said Peyton's mother. We checked that book out so we could read it to our children and discuss the worldview behind it. They're going to hear about it, better from us than from God knows who. I'm not calling for a protest or a library or book burning. I don't believe in that. I still like the library. But this is simply undeniable evidence that our society and culture and nation It's all being given over. The Lord is turning loose of the chain. And the point is this. This present world is the Titanic. God is not calling the church to try to save or rearrange the furniture on the Titanic. He's calling us to tell sinners there's another ship. The old ship of Zion. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our hope. We see the vanity of this world. We see a man given over. Thirdly, in this passage, we see inevitable judgment. Look at verse 10. Inevitable judgment. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke by his servant the prophet, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, he has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him, and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity 
upon Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tangle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab. I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. So I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become victims of plunder to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt, even to this day. It's a prophecy of the fall of the nation and the Babylonian captivity. But notice verse 11 says the judgment is coming because of the sin of Manasseh. But verse 15 says it's because of the sins of the nation going all the way back to the exodus from Egypt. In other words, it's not all Manasseh's fault. But he was the last straw. And really, he was more a bale of straw than one straw. And I know on my last point about Manasseh being given over, that some of you were thinking, wait a minute. Manasseh turned it around at the end. Second Chronicles 33 records that Manasseh was carried off in chains by the Assyrians to Babylon. And there, he humbled himself. He repented, begged the Lord for mercy, and the Lord showed him mercy, and even wicked King Manasseh was converted. But here in 2 Kings 21, it's never mentioned. Why? Because Manasseh's conversion did not do the nation any good. It was good for him, personally. But he had already pushed Judah into final ruin before he himself found mercy. Inevitable judgment. So we see the vanity of this world. We see a man given over. We see inevitable judgment. And fourthly and finally in this passage, we see the thing that remains. The thing that remains. Look at verse 19. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Haruz of Joppa. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. So he walked in all the ways that his father had walked, and he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. He forsook the Lord God of his fathers and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Now Manasseh finally dies, and his son Ammon becomes king, and, and that apple didn't fall very far. He's every bit as wicked as his daddy. And look what happened. To Ammon. Verse 23, look at it. Then the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Ammon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. They killed him. They killed Ammon. They, they probably figured, well, they had... Manasseh, 55 years, and Ammon's just as bad. The next guy 
can't be any worse. He might be better. Let's kill Ammon and take our chances with the next one. But then there's some sort of popular uprising against the conspirators. And they kill them, execute them, and then they make Ammon's son Josiah king. And Josiah actually turned out to be a good king. It doesn't say here how Josiah was spared, whether someone hit him or they didn't want to kill him or what. But Manasseh, wicked as he was, he was the legitimate heir of King David. And his son Josiah, or his grandson Josiah, was next in line. Dr. Ralph Davis says, I don't know much about the people of the land. That is, I don't know how deep their faith or how earnest their piety was, but it is fascinating that after 55 years of Manasseh and two years of Manasseh Jr., they do not cast aside the Davidic succession of kings and deem it an outmoded tradition fit only for the political landfill. You see, while the kingdom of Judah is being shaken down and crumbling, there is something that remains. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way. He then is all my hope and stay. The Lord made an oath, a covenant with David. Psalm 89, we sang it a while back. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Through all that mess, and it was a mess, literally a royal mess, the Lord preserved the line of David in order to keep his promise to bring Jesus Christ into the world who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead and he will reign on the throne of David forever. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 10, Manasseh is recorded in the genealogy of Jesus. Not blood kin, that's Joseph's family, but Joseph was the legal father of Jesus. Not biological, he was born of a virgin, but because Joseph was his legal father, Jesus was the legal and proper heir of David's throne. And Manasseh was his ancestor. So even with Manasseh on the throne and the nation doomed, there was still hope. There was still an anchor. And it was God's covenant to send Jesus Christ into the world. And even today, with the world, our nation, society crumbling all around us, we have the same hope.
the son of David, has come. And he is coming again. There was once a blind man who lived in or near the town of Jericho. And all that blind man could do was sit by the main road coming into that town and beg. And one day as he sat there asking for alms, he began to hear a great commotion. And he asked what all the fuss was about. And someone told him, Jesus of Nazareth, was passing by. And that poor blind beggar cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they told him to hush. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, the son of David, showed him mercy that day. He healed him, opened his eyes. But Jesus was passing through Jericho that day on the way to Jerusalem to die for sinners so that we could have mercy. We know Manasseh, even Manasseh repented and was converted. Do you realize that even wicked Manasseh could have mercy because about 700 years later, Jesus Christ died for his sins? Now you may feel like you are beyond the reach of God's mercy, but I promise you, Manasseh was worse than you. But there was mercy, even for him. Have you cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.